text for this morning is really the, the whole chapter of Ruth chapter 1. But I'll read for us again verse 16 and 17. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. and Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts from me and you. Creation loved by our Lord and by our Savior, Jesus Christ. The book of Ruth is one of the most brilliant pieces of literature written. It is a wonderful story. And as we think about the Ruth of uh, the book of Ruth, we might think it of somewhat of a, of a love story, a bit of a romance, and it indeed is a love story. But as we think about it being a love story, we need to realize what kind of love story it is. It's a love story about ultimately God's love, God's Hesed love. Hesed is a Hebrew word meaning steadfast love. As we think about this important vow that. Ruth makes to her mother-in-law, often used for weddings. We had an announcement about an upcoming wedding. We need to realize that this is often a a passage used for weddings, and it's it's appropriate to do so. But this isn't uh, a vow between a husband and a wife, two fiancés. This is a commitment from a a daughter-in-law to a mother-in-law. The book of Ruth is an amazing story of commitment, of fidelity, of the power of kindness, and ultimately, the significance of love, of God's love for us, and our call to love each other. And the narrator is a master at painting word pictures. He skillfully, or she skillfully employs techniques of suspense, dialogue, characterization, repetition, and some important themes. As mentioned, what is chesed? What is love? What is God's love? Uh, the word Hebrew word chesed is a wonderful biblical word, and it's actually a word that's very difficult for our English Bible translations to encapsulate in one word. Some of our translations will say steadfast love or loving kindness. And these are all wonderful definitions. But the the Hebrew word hesed is so kaleidoscopic in its meaning that it's, it's, it's difficult to get in just one phrase. But essentially, hesed refers to God's covenant faithfulness, his mercy, his grace, his kindness, his loyal love, his enduring love, his never giving up, never breaking up, always persevering type of love. There's a a certain magnetism to God's mercy, and that's what we see in the love of the gospel, but what Ruth, the entire book of Ruth, so brilliantly manifests. Hesed is a movement of love and compassion going beyond anything that could even be expected or imagined. So how do we mirror this love? As God loves us, how do we love others? And there are very kind and good characters in the book of Ruth. Boaz, Ruth. And there's a certain contagiousness 
to this movement of kindness. The book of Ruth displays for us what a life of faith looks like. We're going to see that, see that this morning. There's a, a comparison and contrast, a foil, really, between Naomi and Ruth, as Ruth lives by faith, and Naomi, yet a God-fear, struggles in her faith. How do we care for the vulnerable and the destitute? Ruth speaks to that. Particularly, this is an important book for our day today. As we see images around the world of refugees, the refugee situation is frightening, it's severe, uh, We have, even in our own towns, Ancaster, Hamilton, Brantford, many folks that are destitute. How do we, as those who have received God's love, channel that love to those who are needy? How do we trust God through adversity and pain? Important lesson we're going to see this morning. As we see God's providential hand working the events of human history for his ultimate glory and for the good of his people. But our life is filled with pain. Life doesn't always go the way that we planned or that we imagined. But as the hymn writer William Cooper says, behind a frowning providence there hides a smiling face. There are frowning providences in the life of Naomi and Ruth, but we see a smiling face behind the scenes, working the scenes in order to bring redemption and restoration. The book of Ruth is an important book that gives us pictures of Jesus, really. Ruth is a picture of Jesus in the sense of how she is loyal to Naomi and how she cares for her mother-in-law. Boaz is a type of Christ as well, as he's a kinsman redeemer. And so there's a lot to learn in the book of Ruth. And we need to realize that the context, the historical situation of the book of Ruth is at the time of the judges, when the judges ruled. And remember that the period of the judges was a very difficult and a dark era in the life of Israel. It was a time where every man did what was right in his own eyes. Even the judges who are called to rule Israel are not faithful, and they themselves are corrupt. It's a time of brutality, of uncertainty, and of pain. But even in this episode of spiritual darkness and even brutality, we need to remember that God is working. And there is hope and there is redemption. And so what we have in Ruth 1 is this image of Naomi and Ruth coming out of Moab. And that's significant. And we will see the hand of God working his providential purposes out in the lives of these two important biblical characters. And as we do so, as we trust the providential work of God in our lives, we'll examine this, explore this in three points this morning, working through Ruth chapter 1. The first thought, the first scene, is a regrettable move. We're going to see uh, what has happened in the life of Naomi and Ruth over the last 10 years. And Naomi and Elimelech have made a regrettable move. This is verses 1 to 5. Secondly, as the camera focuses on Ruth and Naomi at the crossroads, literally between Moab and Bethlehem, 
there is a weighty decision, a very weighty decision placed upon Orpah and Ruth. And we'll look specifically at how Ruth decides. So there's a regrettable move and then a weighty decision. And then lastly, a redemptive return, verses 19 to 22. We'll see how the Lord is working out his plans beautifully in these characters. So first of all, a regrettable move, a regrettable move. And we begin with the story of a family. And it is a strange and puzzling flight away from the land of covenant promise. And what we read in the first section, verses 1 and following, is that years ago, a small family, an Israelite family, left Bethlehem, Israel, the land of promise, for the land of Moab. Elimelech was that man. Naomi was his wife. And they left the land of Israel for Moab for a reason that we can all understand. There was famine in the land. There was no food. There was destitution. And so the text does not explicitly critique Elimelech and Naomi for leaving, although they they should not have left, and we'll see this. And there's a certain irony here because Bethlehem literally means house of bread. But there was no bread in Bethlehem. And also, sadly, I think one of the reasons there was famine in Bethlehem is because this is the day of the judges. The God who was sovereign, who called his people to live for him, were not honoring him. And this was a form of of chastisement and discipline upon God's people. Congregation, we are in this strange, unusual time of coronavirus, pandemic. And a lot has changed, and it's been stressful and frustrating and concerning. But one thing we need to realize here in Canada, this is not always true in every part of the world right now, but what's true of us is that we still have sustenance. There's still plenty of food. Uh, There's still civil life. There's still freedom. Um, yes, there's inconvenience, but we cannot say that we're undergoing tremendous suffering. But realize, in the ancient world, when there was famine for years upon years upon years, there was incredible poverty, incredible even starvation, destitution, fear. How will we live the next day? So we need to understand that for Elimelech and Naomi, as as Israelites, to go to Moab, this might have been simply a, a decision of mere survival. But realize that of all the places they went to, they they should not have gone to Moab. Now, this is where we have to enter into the ancient world a little bit. You know, say, you know, uh, there's some uh, struggle with famine here in Ancaster. You might realize, I need to move somewhere else. So, okay, maybe I'll move to Elmer, family-friendly Elmer. Not not a big deal. Uh, Real estate's a lot cheaper in Elmer or Wyoming. But maybe you need to even move move across the country, the Fraser Valley. Okay, there's some connection there. Or maybe you even need to move to another country, go to the United States, but maybe you could settle in West Michigan or Chicagoland or Northwest Iowa. Still, you you can still play Dutch bingo there. There's, There's a lot of connection there. There's familiarity there. But that's not the type of lateral move that Elimelech and Naomi make. This is like going to Skid Row or Las Vegas or downtown Amsterdam, or I think it might even be stronger. 
This is like joining the Islamic State in Syria. This is going to a place that is spiritually unhealthy, to say it moderately. It's spiritually devastating. Even as, as we try to make some correlation, the fact that Elimelech's and Naomi's sons married Moabitess woman, this is not far out from your sons marrying an Islamic woman, Islamic from a very, very entrenched Islamic family in a, in a, in a, in a very uh, tough Islamic regime. Like, this is the exact opposite thing of what a faithful Israelite should do. But this is what they did. And again, we need to look at the history of Moab. This is the land whose ancestry is traced back to Lot's drunken, incestuous sex with his daughters, Genesis 19. These are the people who hired Balaam to curse Israel, Numbers 22. Numbers 25, the woman seduced, the Moabites women seduced the Israelite men and lured them into sexual morality and the idolatrous worship of Moabite gods. Eglon, the king of Moab, caused 18 years of torment to the people of God, Judges 3. This is not that long ago, Judges 3. This was not a place that an Israelite could go and experience the blessing of God. This was not the land of promise. Moab was the land of compromise. And again, this is a desperate measure. Elimelech and Naomi probably thought, we're just going to go there. We're going to try to put food on the table. Uh, we'll go there, maybe get ahead financially and come back. They likely did not have the intention to really settle there. They thought they would just be sojourners there. But over time, something happened, and they put in roots in Moab. Their sons married Moabite women, and they find themselves as Israelites living in Moab. This is an understandable decision, again, considering the circumstance, but it was a punishable one, and it was a regrettable one. And what we have here is a list of names. Elimelech, from the tribe of Judah, Ephraites, part of a clan. We need to remember the book of Ruth. These are real people in real time, on real earth. Not just a fictitious story. This really happened. And as they have gone to Moab to find food and maybe a life of survival, tragedy awaits them. They went there for life, but they only were delivered death. And their sons marry, Moabite woman. These women are barren. No sons proceed from these marriages or children, offspring. And to make matters worse, the two sons, the two lads die, as well as Naomi's husband, Elimelech, dies. So, brothers and sisters, you just need to understand the, the devastation. What Naomi has experienced in these ten years, it's, it's hard to even get our minds around it. Her husband has died, and her two sons have died. The pain of a parent bearing a, a son or daughter is immense. And understand as well that Naomi is extremely vulnerable. This is one thing we need to understand about this time period. You know, in our society today, if a woman 
becomes widowed, or if a woman never marries or is divorced, she can still provide for herself. She can still have a good livelihood. There are structures, social structures around her to protect her and to provide for her. But to be a widow in the ancient world, particularly at this time, the time of a judges, was a, a, a situation of, of extreme vulnerability. I, I don't think we can even understand the vulnerability enough of, of what these women were experiencing. They were destitute. They were poor. They were vulnerable to anybody that might have power and that could abuse their vulnerability. And so you have to almost see the, the fear in Naomi's eyes and the, the sadness that is etched into her face and the lines of bitterness that is embedded in her personality. She's a woman in a man's world, a patriarchal society, extremely destitute and vulnerable, and she has really no hope because she has no sons or a man to protect her. These women would have been at the bottom of the social ladder. And even in Israelite culture, these widows are vulnerable because they had to wear special garments that expressed their widowhood. A comparison, widows in India today, cast out in the streets, the life of a beggar by families, who regard them as encumbrances, might speak for Naomi. And I quote, This is not life. We all died the day our husbands died. How can anyone describe our pain? Our hearts are on fire with sorrow. Now we just wait for the day when this will all end. Let's just die so this can all end. That's how bad the suffering is. And so what we learn in the book of Ruth is that sometimes our decisions go very badly. And if the roads we thought we would travel, we actually don't end up traveling those roads. It's about the long-term consequences that we face in the decisions that we make. Some decisions go well. Some decisions don't go well. How do we deal with the emotion of regret when things do not go like we expected? When we deal with the deep pain of shoulda, coulda, woulda. The book of Ruth has instruction for us because we need to remember as God's people that there's an, always another character in the story. This is the Lord, who is working behind the scenes for the scenes, and He is always working in our lives in the big and the small details of our life. And the grace of God is always manifest in the experiences of our lives. And we need to have the eyes to see the Lord working. Again, what William Cooper said. Behind a frowning providence, there hides a smiling face. This is what's happening in the book of Ruth. And so, Naomi and Elimelech had a regrettable decision. But the story of Ruth doesn't stop there. There's a weighty choice, though, placed upon Ruth. And that's our second thought here. We now see these two women at the crossroads. And what's fascinating about this next section uh, of, of verses uh, 6 to, to 18 is how often the Hebrew word shuv appears. And that word means turn. Twelve times, actually, in this section. Turn, return. 
And are they going to turn? Will they return? And that's one of the important lessons in the book of Ruth. Because the Hebrew word shuv, turn or return, is very similar to the word that we use for repent. What does it mean, brothers and sisters, to repent? Well, simply, it means to get off the wrong road and make a U-turn and get on the right road. So you're traveling, maybe this is in the day before GPSs, but you're traveling and you realize you're going on the wrong road. What do you do when you realize you're on the wrong road? Well, you turn around and you get on the right road. And essentially, repentance is when we realize we're on the wrong road, the wrong road of sin, the wrong road of living for self, the wrong road of doing our own thing, our own way, thinking we are our own bosses and lords, what do we do? We get off that wrong road, we make a U-turn, and we get on the right road, which is living for Jesus, living for the Lord, making Him the supremacy of our life. And so we're always called to be repenting, to be turning away from sin and turning to the Lord. Repentance is a change of mind issuing in a change of life. And so this word turn, return, is so important to the drama of chapter 1 in Ruth, in, in Ruth chapter 1. Again, there's famine in the land. And famine has now hit Moab. And there is tremendous scarcity. And Naomi will need to do something very difficult, very difficult for all of us to do. It's to swallow her pride. Realize that decisions that Hermelem and Limelech have made have not gone well. But out of sheer desperation, they will leave Moab and go back to Bethlehem. And she's going to have to face the people that she knows, who knows her. And again, put yourself in this situation. If you have moved away, done something different. It's, it's okay to come back if there's, you've had success, you flourish, you've done well for yourself. But the absolute shame to return back and to have this sense of failure. I didn't make it. This hasn't gone well for me. The embarrassment. That's what Naomi is facing. This incredible amount of shame as a widow with nothing to her name. Complete destitution. But she needs to go home. She needs to go home because she's an Israelite. And remember, Israelites aren't supposed to live in Moab. Israelites are supposed to live in the land of promise. And to trust Yahweh that even if life is hard in the land of promise, the Lord will provide. So she is a prodigal that needs to go home. And thankfully, the Lord has given her this opportunity to go back home to God's land, to God's people. But she has these two daughters-in-law with her who also have experienced tremendous pain and tragedy. They, too, are so vulnerable. And I think, congregation, again, to, to make some connection today, this is probably not that different from an undocumented worker who is in a foreign land, who has maybe had to flee a place of persecution, of poverty, but is living in the land but doesn't have the rights of a citizen of that land and is completely at the mercy of anybody who might have power over her. This is, this is the, the situation of desperation these ladies 
are in. And so when there's this persuasion back and forth between Naomi and Orpah and Ruth about whether they should go along with their mother-in-law or whether they should go back home, you have to understand why Naomi is so insistent. These are Moabite women. Of course she would uh, love to have her sister-in-laws stay with her, and there's tremendous love and fidelity between them. But Naomi knows that these women will not be accepted in Bethlehem culture. They're Moabite women. They don't belong there. They will always be marginalized. They will always be polarized. They will always be taken advantage of. They will always be on the margins of society, mocked and vulnerable. She knows how horrible life might be for these women if they go with her. So that is why, out of concern for them, she insists that they go back to Moab. At least if you go back to Moab, you're back with your people, your culture. You might get a fresh start. You can marry again. Maybe you won't be a first wife of a man, but maybe, maybe a second or third wife of a man. At least you might live and not die of poverty. At least you might be safe. And so when the question is pressed upon Orpah, although she's committed to Naomi, she's like, sometimes you have to think with your head. Maybe not just with your heart. And she resigns to go back to Moab. See, in verses 11, what Naomi realizes is that if these ladies, her daughter-in-laws, go back, there isn't much future for them. And what she refers to is something known as the Leveret Law. Look what she says in verse 11. Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they might become your husbands? Turn back. Again, that's shuv, Hebrew word. Shuv, go back. Just return. Go back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown would, and should bear sons? Would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me, for your sake, the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. We, we have to understand this, this ancient law of liberal marriage. And levir means brother-in-law, that there was a duty of the brother-in-law. This was uh, part of the system of law, Torah law. Of Israel. Other nations actually had it. The law stipulated that if a man died without a son, his blood brother was to marry his widow. The firstborn son of that union would take the dead man's place on the family tree. So if you're a brother in law, your brother's wife dies, you have an obligation to marry your wife's, I mean, your brother-in-law's, your brother's wife, his widow. And in this, there was the hope that a son would be conceived and that son could protect the family name, could prevent the family lands from going, uh, uh, from being lost. And the son could protect the mother and the family. 
But what Naomi realizes is that even, even this would all happen tonight, even if I go back to Bethlehem and find a man and a child is conceived and it happens to be a son, you've got to wait 20 more years for this lad to grow up in order to be your husband so that you can bear sons. This is not possible. And what Naomi feels is that the hand of God has been against her. She's almost feeling that she's almost been cursed by God. Just get away from me, Ruth and Orpah. Life is going to be bad for you if you align yourself with me. Just let me die in bitterness and in pity and in destitution. You just look out for yourselves. But what does Ruth do? What's so amazing about Ruth? She is this woman of courage. She's a valiant woman. She's very similar to the Proverbs 31, woman of noble character. She clings to Naomi. The wording is so here, so strong here. Ruth says, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there, I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. She clings. This word speaks of covenant loyalty. Your people, my people, your God, my God, where I go, I go, where you lodge, I lodge, where you die, I die. Ruth is committing herself to Naomi. This is an astonishing act of surrender and self-sacrifice. Ruth is lying down her entire life for Naomi. The, and yet Naomi realizes if you connect yourself to me, if you cling to me, life is going to be bad for you, Ruth. I can't promise you anything. And indeed, Naomi can't give her anything except a future of doom and despair. What's so amazing here, though, in the contrast between these two women, is that Ruth is a woman of faith. May I even say of gospel faith, gospel hope. Hope is faith directed to the future. Whereas Naomi, who is from Bethlehem, she is an Israelite, is struggling in her faith. Because what is the reality of living by faith? Faith, in essence, is believing what you don't see. I believe it. I trust God. Even though I don't know how to connect the dots. Even though I don't know how this is all going to work out. And yes, as Naomi looks back at her life, the dots being connected don't portray a very nice picture. But Ruth even already with limited knowledge of Yahweh, of Israel's God, is trusting that the Lord Yahweh will provide for her. She makes a decision of faith. And so this is, congregation, a picture of repentance because what Ruth is doing is that she is turning her back on the idolatry of Moab. She has come out of Moab, the land of compromise, the land of debauchery. She's turning her back on everything that means, which might be security, physically, 
prosperity physically. She's turning her back on all of that and saying, no, I'm going to the promised land with Naomi. But all she has is the promises of God. But she clings to it. She loses everything in order to gain everything. One commentator said, Ruth's decision affects a voluntary change of identity and unforced submission to a new orientation. It calls forth commitment that defies the fear of the unknown and willingly accepts the consequences of the ultimate. We all have to take risks, don't we? Understand this incredible risk she is taking. But this is a picture of faith. It's always a call for us, congregation. We need to look at our own hearts. Are we living in Moab? Are our hearts connected to the idols of Moab and everything that might represent? That's a metaphor. You know, we can't stand at the crossroads like these two ladies were standing at. And what Ruth does is that she turns her back on the security and prosperity, or at least, not prosperity, at least some security, and goes in faith to the land of promise, trusting Yahweh. It's a call for us to not compromise with the ways of the world. The world might offer security. The world might offer prosperity. But as God's people, we're set apart to walk toward the land of promise, Emmanuel's land, to live in God's place and do life God's way. And that's the decision that Ruth makes. And there's tremendous redemption here. There's tremendous blessing here. In verses 19 to 22, this is followed up. They return to Bethlehem, these women do, and this is not a happy homecoming for Naomi. And Naomi says, you know what? Don't even call me Naomi anymore. The word, the name Naomi means pleasant. Sweet, she says, this, give me a new, I, I need a new name. Mara, bitter. Again, you see that the hollow stare in her vacant eyes. She is so broken. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Naomi is angry with God. She's bitter with how her life has turned out. And she's wrestling. And yes, yeah, she's at the bottom of the barrel in every way. But brothers and sisters, the lesson here is that there's always grace at the bottom of the barrel. We might say there's light at the end of the tunnel, and there is. But for God's people, there's always even light in the tunnel. There's always grace. God is always working. And what's happening here with Naomi is that she's become so bitter, and we can understand that. We can feel her pain. But in her pain, she is unable to see at this present moment the evidences of God's grace toward her. There's a lot of hope already at the end of this chapter. She's had the opportunity to leave Moab. She got out of Moab. It's the beginning of barley harvest, which means the famine is over. And Ruth is with her. This woman of gospel hope is with her and has pledged herself in allegiance to her. This is not the end of the story. 
And congregation, we can struggle with this too, that we simply, in the, we get stuck in a moment and we can't get out, and we fail to see God's working grace around us. We can exhibit a lack of trust in God's goodness. We might complain about the job God has given us, or the spouse we married, or the family or lack of family that God in his providence has allocated to us. We fantasize about greener fields elsewhere. This is the green grass conspiracy that somewhere beyond there, life would be way better. We might confess that we have turned our back on the Lord's way. We have journeyed in the fields of Moab that offers better bread. But we need to remember that there's still hope with God. And God is good. And what's so beautiful is that God hasn't forgot about Naomi. Yeah, she made some bad decisions. Her heart is angry with God. But God is a God of chesed, of steadfast love. It's a sense, yeah, Naomi, you're angry with me, but I'm not done with you yet. I'm going to give you a good hope yet. Come home. Come home. And congregation, remember, just know this. By nature, we all belong in Moab. We are aliens. We are strangers to God. We are enemies of God in our sin. We are destitute and vulnerable when we think about the weight of God's holiness against our sin. But God does not hold this sin against us. And so the call always is to return to Christ, to come back to the land of God, to trust him. And so we think about just the work of God's providence. Elimelech and Naomi have sent themselves into exile, and life has gone bad. But what has Jesus Christ done for us? He too went into exile, but a different type. Because he left the pleasures of heaven for the pain of earth, the glory of heaven for the gore of earth. He went into exile. He left his father's throne, underwent the ignominy and shame and pain of the cross, the abandonment of God his father. But he did that in order to return us back home so that we're not in exile, so that we're brought out of Moab into the promised land. So this is the work of the gospel. So we need to remember this and trust this and not turn to the idols of Moab but rather turn to our God, Yahweh, the God of life and of light. See, God's not done with Naomi yet. The Lord's not finished with you yet, dear brother or sister. You might feel like Naomi today. You might be feeling the desperation and the pain and the bitterness and anger, but the story is not over, and God's grace is still around you. See, we are all imperfect disciples. Naomi is an imperfect disciple. Think of Peter, remember? The night on the eve of Jesus' crucifixion. Three times, I will not disown you. I will not deny you. Not in a thousand years. That very night, he disowns his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But the Lord enlists Peter back into his service. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you a new beginning. I will give you a fresh start. I will give you no new hope. And what's so wonderful about this story is that it's going to be this woman, Naomi, who thinks that all hope is lost, 
who will be the great, 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 great grandmother of King Jesus. Because out of these chain of events, Ruth will be the great, great, great grandmother of King Jesus. Because she will marry Boaz, who will be the father of Obed, who will be the father of Jesse, who will be the father of David, who will be the father of King Jesus. And so, although we can't trace the Lord's hand, we can trace his heart. Behind a frowning providence, there hides a frowning face. A smiling face. So a frowning providence, there hides a smiling face. And this is what the book of Ruth is about. God's providential good dealings with his people. And so may we look at the cross, may we look at the gospel and have gospel hope and gospel tenacity as we live out our lives in the fear of God. Amen. Let's pray.